Hello and welcome to episode two of Jack Talks To. Jack here, obviously. Hope you're all doing well. Uh, thanks for joining us again. Hope you enjoyed episode one. Massive learning curve for us, the first episode. Huge amount of takeaways from it. It's not, um, it's not as easy as it looks, all this kind of live streaming and podcasting. For those of you who don't know, uh, Jack Talks To is obviously a podcast you're listening to now, but it also exists as a live stream, which I host on my YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash Jack versus life. It's during that live stream where we go totally live, obviously, uh, where I have these conversations uh, and I take the audio from that live stream and then repackage it and distribute it here uh, on my podcast for those of you who'd rather listen to it than watch it. Um... Jack Talk To, for those of you who don't know, are new here, is a show which I, I'm hosting, which is very much, uh, as it says on the tin, um, I talk to people who I find interesting, friends of mine, people who have interesting perspective on things, uh, we share ideas, talk about the world at large, um, it's a free-form conversation, we have a beer, glass of wine, kick back, relax, and just shoot the shit for a little bit. Um, so yeah, it's great fun, I'm really enjoying this process. Uh, episode two, um, like I said, I'm joined with my friend... Edgar Dabrowski. Uh, Edgar's a DAP cinematographer. Um, he's also a good friend and uh, a collaborator. We've worked on many projects together um, in some of the films that I've made over the years. Um, Edgar shares his thoughts uh, and experiences from the film industry, from his point of view, from a director of photography point of view. And um, we talk at large about why is it that DOPs aren't directors? It seems a very obvious thing, you know, someone who's um, very much in control of the visual element of the, of the film. Why aren't they taking the reins fully and um, doing the job of the director? Um, so we talk about that and everything and anything in between. Um, so, yeah, I hope you enjoy it, guys. Uh, by all means, feel free to reach out. Um, my Twitter is at Jack Conan Burke. Same for Instagram. Um, and if you want to head over to the YouTube channel, like I said before, it's youtube.com forward slash Jack versus life. So, yeah, let's crack on. Uh, episode two, Jack Talks To, where I'm joined with Edgar Dabrowski. And we ask the question, why aren't directors of photography directors? Enjoy. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the live stream. Uh, back for another week. Um, this week, joining me, sitting alongside, is Edgar Dabrowski. Um, Hello. So, Edgar, the format, basically, do not worry about the camera, because I very much want this to be a podcast. So, it's just Counter you and intuitive for me, exactly. but I'll try. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, yeah, guys, thanks for joining us. Um, this uh, is episode two of Jack Talks To, um, and we are going to be talking about all things cinematography, DOPs, the film industry, social media, uh, the future of the film industry, and everything and anything in between. Um, very much free-form conversation, so by all means, guys, at any point, um, feel free to reach out. We've got our social media links on the screen right now. Uh, comment on the YouTube channel as well. We'll be intermittently going in and out of our social uh, platforms to also, we anything. have to say it's pretty chill conversation. We have a football here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Brazil versus Switzerland. Yeah, exactly. So a bit of we, cider. Yeah, so. exactly. It's nice and chilled. Nice and chilled. Um, so, Edgar, what I'll do is I'll just kick things off by um, sure. giving you uh, giving your instructions so that people listening and watching uh, has a good sense of who you are and what your background. So, um, Edgar, you're a freelance uh, director of photography for seven years, also known as a cinematography. Yeah, roughly that. Yeah. Cinematographer. Uh, you work across multiple genres uh, in the film industry, from commercial, documentary, and drama. Uh, you're in... Uh, I'm going to say his, right? <laughs> his, his, major, his major commercial work includes campaigns with Adidas, Kos, Swarovski, 
Uh, Bentley and YouTube, uh, your latest project, uh, One Week in April, a documentary premiere at Cannes IFC official festival, along with having a Vimeo staff pick. Um, along with other official, um, other films, you've had official selections at the New York Film Festival and the BAFTA accredited Leeds International Festival for a short film, New Gods, directed by yours truly. Uh, you've received honourable mention at the 2017 iPhone Photography Awards, uh, and you're also the winner of the best. Fuck, that's the pinnacle, though. <laughs> really? The iPhone Photography Awards. Like, I don't know where to go from there. I know. Well, that's it. You, you're on the plateau I've now. Peaked. Yeah, uh, you've also won Best Short for Cinematography at the Fargo Film Festival, and you're currently. I forgot rep- about that. Yeah, I'm, I won. I'm, I won a scarf for that. Oh, really? A scarf. Yeah, they sent me a scarf. Oh, amazing! I, d- I did my research, man. Um, to be honest, you can find us all at Edgar's website. Um, also, uh, you're represented by uh, Echo Artists. Welcome to the live stream. My great agent. Yes. Is this um? So this is your. You've done a few live streams before, haven't you? I've done, yeah, some. I've done one with Anna Rachenko and I've done some with YouTube, teaching yeah. at YouTube, yeah. uh, teaching YouTubers cinematography like so five I get, years ago. Yeah, and I guess that's kind of how you and I first met was yes. I was working in-house at YouTube and we were holding a uh, Russian-speaking class for YouTubers. Yeah, it was YouTubers. Russian-speaking yeah, first. Yeah, yeah. yeah, first. So we had to find someone who could teach the uh, camera basics and cinematography to YouTubers that are wanting to up their production value and obviously that's how. Yeah, and then that's into worldwide streams and yeah that's great and so Edgar and I were involved in doing a sort of a live stream teaching on the hoof uh, cinematic techniques when we were sort of running around a studio for an hour and yeah we had like kind of we had quite a lot of views for it and we were just basically showing cinematic techniques and and uh, what you could do with certain uh, lights and uh, diffusion and all that kind of stuff yeah we have to say it was kind of official youtube as in it wasn't on your channel or, no. or any other people's channels it was like on youtube's yeah. channel on youtube yeah. which was pretty surreal being yeah, like yeah. in the youtube headquarters and, yeah, yeah. and live studio and stuff yeah it was awesome and we had in here did we have in here yeah I, we, remember. I think i did i was presenting i was kind like, of we were being no fed. swearing yeah exactly no swearing but also we had to um coordinate a lot of stuff we had two cameras at the same time yeah yeah, yeah. I had to yeah. Like it was a great stuff. format I really yeah. enjoyed it really yeah, it enjoyed nice. it Do I you think you, you, people can actually find it I think I don't know what to search but it is on YouTube yeah I, I cannot remember it's none of our names mentioned there no. I think it's something like uh, basics or at that point I was like uh, semi-advanced techniques and yeah. scenography for, for vloggers and yeah, stuff because yeah, yeah. it was like age when, yeah. when vloggers and YouTubers didn't really care about the visual side yeah. of things and that's why YouTube brought us and there was a bunch of other people sound producers editors yeah. and they kind of suddenly taught cinematography to these YouTubers and I was like why the fuck are you teaching cinematography and then now yeah. you look at it and it's so it's, visual YouTube yeah totally I mean it's quite interesting I mean going back sort of five six years ago you I mean would you say it's fair to say that you were sort of coming in on that kind of wave when YouTube was starting to elevate to another level, which was quite interesting because I think YouTube were making a very conscious decision about that, opening the studio spaces. Yeah. Financially, I was surprised, I have to say. It was, what do you mean? It was a sweet, sweet dough. <laughs> um, no, I was just confused. They were paying. Uh, yeah, they were yeah. flying people from all over the world, um, uh, YouTubers. They were yeah. like a group of 20 or 40, and they were yeah. staying in these nice places and stuff. Yeah. But uh, I think it kind of paid off what YouTube became now. Like five years ago was first time I discovered, not five, it was a bit more. Yeah. It was like six, maybe seven. It's the first time I discovered personally that you can subscribe to channels on YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what? It's like... Uh, oh, man. You can do what? But the, the, the interesting but, thing about YouTube is, and I've always been amazed by this, is 98% of all users aren't signed in. So you don't get any of that ecosystem. You don't get any sort of 
you know, people liking, commenting, uh, subscribing. What's the statistic? 98% aren't signed in. Still? Or that was um, then? No, no, no. This is still. Oh, wow. If you think about all the people who are using the platform uh, on a regular basis, how few of them are actually signed in. And therefore, you remove that entire ecosystem of it being essentially a social media platform as well. Yeah. Is that, that's fascinating because yeah. even if the amount of views, so even like, you know, the big YouTubers with shitloads of subscribers, they are still uh, at the mercy of that stat. So there's still a whole 98% of the user population that's just not even interacting oh. with the platform in the way they could. I just noticed I've strapped my iPhone there <laughs> and it says uh, your storage is full. So let me oh, no, sort that. it out. Yeah, so I don't know what that means. Edgar's uh, piggybacking off of the, uh, the live stream by doing his own thing on uh, Instagram to pull more viewers over yeah. here. Um, so yeah, but anyway, guys, uh, just to stress as well. And you can ask questions. Oh, yeah, we've, we've, we've started um, getting a few already. Um, mm. Where would you? There, there will not be <laughs> right. any humor in this live stream. Yes. I can guarantee you that. Um, yeah, well, we basically, by all means, guys, start asking any questions. Deg, uh, Egg is a, one, uh, one. Oh my God. We, this is it, guys. We, oh my God! I've got Switzerland in the in a sweepstake as well, so oh this is a uh, huge. <laughs> um, by all by uh, all means, guys, please uh, ask any questions um, as and when uh, you want to, um, and and pick our brains, uh, particularly Egg as well. He's here um, because you're getting it for free. Um, so what I want to do, Egg, in this episode, uh, we did um, I did one of these last week, and um, I want to kind of like maybe go in a little bit more, give it a little bit more structure and maybe ask you a few more questions formally so we can sort of have a nice little discussion about certain things. Yeah. Um, last week, we, uh, with my guest Josh, we were speaking for nearly two hours and it was like all over. I mean, it was like bang, bang, bang. So I sort of took some it's feedback. sort of already started. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which is great. Which is great. Um, sound okay? We're good with the sound people? Yeah, let us know, guys. Technically, if there's any... Um, if there's anything that uh, we need to improve on, we're uh, sort of learning as we're going here. Uh, but nice. no, we look good. We look good. Um, Looks fine. So People watching on Instagram as well. So yeah, that's go great. to Jack's channel to check it. Jack versus life. Um, so I guess I want to sort of start off to give anyone listening uh, the context of what's your background. You're obviously not English. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so racist. Um, so I'm out of here. Fucking Brexit land. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's something we could tap into later as well because I'd really love to hear your thoughts about that. Um, Is it because I have vodka in this? And yeah, exactly. In this. Edgar's, Edgar's uh, drinking just neat vodka from yeah. his cup. That's why it's not in a glass. Um, so you don't see. That's actually quite a good technique for. Um, for walking around the street. No, no, no. Celebrities on chat shows, they have cups, which is usually full of a strong ah. liquor, but they rather have it in a glass, a cup. Um, so, Edgar, tell me a little bit about yourself. Um, where were you born what, and what's the sort of your general background? What got you into this line of work? Yeah, um, I came from Latvia. I was born there. Okay. I came from Riga, Latvia. Um, came here when I was 15. I went to school. I finished A levels here. Uh, for those who are not from here, A levels is sort of a high school. You, you study only four subjects, three sometimes. I studied quite a mix. I did arts, uh, economics, uh, media, and history. Yeah. And then uh, with that, you kind of go into university. So I went to University of Westminster. Studied film TV production there for three years and then started working. I started working actually before. I started working kind of in the first, second year of my university. So during your time at school, before you even got to university, did you start gravitating towards cameras and photography? Yeah, because I, I, I kind of, I did photography from a very early age. I remember my parents, I think, submitting some of my photos like when I was seven. Uh, and I even got some sort of award. I won like a camera. So it was like an odd kind of, I guess it was a spot by them. So kudos to mom and dad to, um, 
seeing that early. And what and format was that? Thirty five mil. Yeah, that one. There was like a point and shoot thirty five. I remember wow. it was a picture of a uh, a camel drinking a bottle of coke. It was like in some place in Tunisia we went to and I snapped that. Almost. Uh, that was like the very beginning when I was like, oh, maybe I like photos and stuff. Almost uh, mirroring the kind of career path of um, uh, Kubrick, mm. who started off taking stills at the age of 16 and like, you know. Yeah. Um, did you. Nine years before. Nine yeah. Years before Kubrick. <laughs> exactly. Did you. Um, was it something that you were good at and you felt that um, it was a you know potentially a career for you at a young age or was it very much a hobby like and you always were you, you mean, confident you to mean take cinematography or uh, photography or? I mean like you playing with cameras did you think yeah that was I think that for sure like I called it media I wasn't sure hence my old email is <laughs> Edgar at Edgar Media oh really um, um, that was because I, even until about 16, 17, I wasn't sure what exactly I want to do. Sure. Then when I went to to the A-levels, I kind of gravitated towards film. Because at some point, I even thought to do radio, which is weird now, because I don't think I would do well in radio. I will do well in radio. Um, but um, then, I, then I went, uh, kind of gravitated towards film, and I was like, oh, fuck, this whole this film world. Yeah. And then I didn't know I want to be DP, I want to be cinematographer, until the very first exercise in the university. I applied as a director. Oh, wow. And Because uh, I n- didn't know any other job. I knew there's actors. Maybe I knew there are editors. And then I applied uh, after first exercise, because they would mix and matches and blah, blah, blah. And it was like six teams, and you'd do everything. And by lottery, I, start, I was cinematographer on the first exercise. Yeah. And I was like... Wait, there's this job where you just do visuals in film? I don't want to be that. And since then, from that first exercise, I, I, I just did that in, in the university, which was good because even then I kind of shortcutted a bit. I didn't have to jump from department to department. Did you, did you enjoy being educated in film? Was it, you know, were you kind of an angsty student? Were you very much kind of a sponge taking it all in? Oh, I think both. Like I was happy and not happy with parts of my course. Um, I thought it's a great course; it's very practical. Uh, but I almost wanted a bit more art schooly stuff yeah. out of it. So I was asking for like books to read and stuff like that, and they would be given, but they were very kind of practical. And I was like, no, no, no. I mean, like books about life. Like what you as a tutor or you as a head tutor, what ten books you should give me to read like yeah. i just want to learn about life as well it's that's really interesting you uh one thing you and i've been friends for a while now and one thing i've always noticed is you're very culturally like you, you go you'd see a lot of stuff and not just films like you're involved you know you do a lot of reading theater paintings exhibitions all that kind of stuff you're a real culture vulture Aww. um and no but i mean it's commendable because i think that you know i think a lot of people don't necessarily take advantage of a living in London and, and, and sort of yeah and I you're, didn't. And you're quite I didn't until like a couple years ago I have no idea why I did not but then I was like oh fuck there's so much I think maybe it was language as well at some point I would remember going to theater uh, like I remember going to Old Vic um, like maybe 10 years ago so I'm in the UK for like what 12 13 years yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and I remember sitting, I was like, fuck, I do not understand anything. And I think that kind of discouraged me for a bunch of years. And then I went back into watching sure. theater and I go to theater almost like every week now. And I just love it. And so, yeah, I think there was a bit of a language barrier. But as soon as I kind of quirked, unquirked that, yeah. oh, fuck, yeah. It's so, That's so interesting. London is mad. And I try to share that on Instagram, I have to say. So if you go to my Instagram, in stories, I try to go, sometimes if I'm in the mood to, to share that kind of stuff, I do... 
uh, stories from exhibitions. Yeah, yeah, You'll yeah. see a little black circle, say exhibition one, exhibition two on my Instagram. And that's actually give his chance for people to watch you know you're quite a good aggregator you're quite a good aggregator for though because you always do those kind of lists at the end of the month and stuff like that you yeah. used to you know you used to do all those kind of like these are my top tens this is what yeah. i thought this is my rating all that kind of stuff so yeah. you're you're quite you're not just someone who does it for a personal thing you're, you're actually very good at absorbing it and then promoting it to others where you see fit which is quite good i look it's great and i think it's interesting do you, do you help think it helps inspire you do you use it as a source of inspiration for your work? Or is it more just kind yeah, of... Yeah, absolutely. Let me turn this off because I, I keep like... Watching like, the football. Watching, like looking at it with my corner of my eye. Um, whatever happens with my with my team of Brazil. Yeah. Um, You'll find out at the end of this uh, yeah. if you're in the money or not. So sorry, coming back to your question. Um, I do find inspiration in that in... In the way that I look at the best of the work I, I stumble upon, I go to most of stuff that's in London, uh, and you kind of see examples where people push the limits of what you thought could be achievable in theater yeah. or film or performance art or, or or there's a fucking so much stuff to see that I haven't seen yet from thousands of years before from art. So you kind of see you see certain trends. You'd like. Okay, uh, not necessarily like I'll be copying David Hockney's style on use of color. It's more like you sponge it in and you're like, I remember, yeah, if you kind of flatten everything but separate with colors, that could work because somewhere I've seen it work. Like subconsciously, I'm like, ah, yeah, I remember seeing that. There is so many, it's sort of slight tangent, but there's some sometimes when I kind of just wonder how much... Also, alcohol helps. Yeah. There's so much much of how I... um, I will think to myself, I'll be like, yeah, I like this thing. That's Yeah, I've got to, I'm, I really fancy that thing or whatever what it is. Yeah. And then I'll realize it's like, it's actually appearing quite a lot. Yeah, get that fizz in there. Yeah, okay. yeah by the way, I'm not drinking on this one. Um, I've had uh, two days of uh, stag do uh, up north. So uh, I'm a little bit worse for wear. Um, usually I'd be sinking. A hello, few... people of internet and hello, people of Instagram. It's what's, the same uh, thing, right? What's cheers in um, Latvian? Um... I don't think there is like a proper cheers. People, Do you not really? People take a piss saying it's Nazdorovia, which is that's bullshit. Russian. Is that yeah, Russian? It's Russian, yeah. Nazdorovia. I think in Latvian it would be like Priyaka. Oh, Priyaka. Yeah, okay. Priyaka. Um, Priyaka. Similar to um, hello, Priyavet. Uh, <laughs> that's Russian for Priyavet, oh, my friend. Okay. Be careful. So then. I always answer the phone to you and say Priyavet, but that's actually not right. No, for it's your not. Native Every time you say that, I'm like, this <laughs> fucking Irish man. <laughs> um, so going back to the thing is, is it's so funny how we are... Um, I don't know if you you agree with this, but I sometimes think the stuff that I like, which I think is a true, uh, you know, is true for me. But I realize, you know, actually, maybe I've just been seeing this a lot in popular culture. Or it's the zeitgeist, yeah. and that's why I think I like it. I remember once with like Land Rover Defenders, I was like, man, I've, I've always liked Land Rover Defenders. I think. And the next thing, it's like kind that's of a I see Cambridge every... Analytica fucking with your brain. Exactly, man. And it's just like then I'm like kind of, I'll you know, and also like. I love the clothing brand Carhartt. Always have. Like, I've yeah. always had Carhartt clothing. And I've always yeah. been like, yeah, I love it. Like, I've, it's always been like, you know, whatever. And then I'm like, all of a sudden I start seeing it. It's a really popular brand through social media and all this kind of stuff. Like, hey, do I actually like it or do? Yeah. Anyway, but that's kind of interesting because why you say, like, trends that you see visually in the arts world and all that kind of stuff sometimes kind of seep itself into being like the kind of um, being used, overused all the oh, time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And the best of the best of us humans like Kanye you know the Adidas and the Yeezys and stuff yeah, like yeah, that yeah. you're like do I, do I want to buy it because it's Kanye related and then 
you know but how there's ma- so many layers to it totally it? but I, I, for me I guess a lot of it comes from a director's point of view and obviously from a DOP's point of view the creative going into a project it's like you know nowadays like how many people are loving that like muted pa- you know for example the muted palette oh, yeah, of like well, colours at the, the moment trends and then the trends will come through and then everyone will be like right I want to shoot everything on like a mega wide angle like one yeah. taker because obviously like, the Revenant comes out and everyone's like that's yeah. the vibe and it's like you know so you kind of these visual trends do come through, yeah. don't they? I have to say, yeah, one week in April was shot before Red <laughs> came out. <laughs> well, we'll talk about it in a second. Yeah. It's um, that's really interesting. Um, but yeah, so I think you, there's loads of that, especially with Instagram. Fuck, everything looks so similar. It's it's scary, I, yeah. especially when it gets to like grading houses. Um, there are certain trends people just can't. Um, can't avoid it just mm. looks dated otherwise but then the trick is what they do now will look dated in a year sure. if it's very strongly totally. graded totally. it'll be just ah yeah it's those 2018s I I think that from a personal point of view like any piece of work you have to have that as your career develops there are going to be trends there are going to be things that you like at the time mm-hmm. that's totally cool like, that's fine because yeah, you evolve as, as creators as I think so is, is, what are you doing I'm just going to grab the laptop I just realised I can open this the stream so I can see the comments oh so yeah, 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 yeah. There. Um, yeah you're right and, and that's that's scary because the freaking trends are are there from people who who have a slightly bored mind I guess but how many times I mean how many in. yeah it's it's that kind of confidence like there's a piece of work which maybe you've had it or not but we'll never see the light of day I'll finish yeah. the job and then it's done and yeah. I will you know whatever but there's other pieces I still look back at stuff I made five years ago and yeah there's some I go oh god I can't believe it but sometimes I go yeah I mean if I made it now it'd be different but I'm still proud of it mm-hmm. like regardless of how it looked visually and the mm-hmm. whatever the problems that went into it I still go yeah actually it's pretty dope mm-hmm. um, so Taking it back a little bit, Edgar. So you, uh, University of Westminster, you're a little bit, ang- you know, sort of half-half. You wanted a bit more of an art school kind of vibe, mm-hmm. um, plus the kind of traditional film education uh, that you were getting. And you said you started working sort of around your second year, third year in the industry. Yeah, I, th- I think even first year, what I did, I did behind-the-scenes photography for a couple okay. of years. On all sorts, from like low-budget uh, uh, horror movies to all sorts and that's how I got into industry and got to know different departments and kind of observed how the DP's department the sure. cinematographer's department works so director of photography just to be clear to viewers and cinematographer is the same thing um, and then like after that the usual ladder would be that you are trainee then you are second AC or clapper loader in UK and first AC or focus puller and then you become a DP so you have this certain you can go operating as well before DP and AC is assistant camera assistant cameraman yeah or camera girl yeah. um, and that's how I kind of got in I did a bit of uh, stills and then I called every DP I knew after about two years and be like okay I actually want to be in your department I want a trainee and then a trainee became second assistant or clapper loader and then became a focus puller to some DPs uh, but I was pretty shit at it so I had to move up. So, so I went into DPing. So that's interesting. So the, um, by the way, if anyone's wondering why we've got this black thing on the mic, it's uh, we're very careful that the table creates a bit of a thud noise. So if anyone's wondering what that's for, um, the interesting thing about uh, the sort of uh, the ladder of the camera department within the film industry, you said then you were like, I was a terrible um, first AC. Like mm-hmm. you, your focusing wasn't great. <laughs> why? Is it then, um, how common is it, have you seen, whether that's changed in recent years or not, 
that there are professional first ACs that will always be first ACs and will never want to aspire to being a DP. Has that changed much? I would say it hasn't changed. It's always been the same that about, I would say, two thirds don't want to be a DP. They actually like the technical side because first assistant or focus puller is the main kind of right hand, the, the main lieutenant for DP in terms of camera department looking after all the gear and figuring it out and all the toys and stuff and those who are interested more in that they tend to be there also those who don't want to be involved in politics because exactly. being a dp there's a lot of politics from working with director to client to agency to Producer. everything right and they can be from job to job even quicker than us dps because we're from job to job pretty quick like comparing to director who can be stuck in the same project yep. if it's a commercial for a month, month. what i've shot like four commercials in the same month for example so um yeah, I would say two thirds don't wanna don't wanna be DPs, and mm. then about a third, from my observation, actually aspire to become maybe operators even more than DPs. Um, you and I have shot a project where you focus pulled the whole way through. Yeah, yeah. It <laughs> um, was a short, right? You're, you're, a few years yeah, ago. but you um, you like to operate though. Oh yeah, I love to operate. I think it's became uh, because I came from photography background. Composition is very important. Could you just explain for anyone who... I kind of talk like, a, like American podcasters do. I don't yeah, know. like yeah. a PA. Welcome yeah. to NPR Radio. Um, yeah, Avocado, smoothie. It's good. It's, good. it's your trademark. Yeah. your voice trademark. Um, have you... I hope not. Yeah. I hope not. Um, have you seen... Uh, have we checked sound once? I did it at the very start, but I think we're... All right, if any question... Actually, but while you're checking sound, I saw there is a question from Arto Martinen. Uh, he asks, Edgar, what's your top three books on cinematography? Arto, I don't remember specifically. What's the uh, Yeah, three three books. But on my Instagram channel, which you can check after this talk, uh, there is a story highlight saved, um, which is actually, I think, about 15 books. And I put them in an order you should read them in. Because it's not top three. It's like a certain kind of system you should read them in. Otherwise, you're going to get confused because there's so much technicalities to... To being a decent DP, or at least learning to be a decent DP, like I'm doing. Yeah, um, that's a good question. I so you like you love to operate. Yeah. Um, I slouch, dude. Can you can you, um, can you just explain sort of you know because maybe even some people out there, what is what does it mean to be a camera operator versus a DP and why? Because usually that kind of Ooh. role might not be always. Yeah, the same. operating is pretty rare role, I would say. Unless it's a big commercial and as, for example, Steadicam Ops of Movi operators brought in, uh, it's rarely unless you add more cameras than one. Uh, so a second cam, a third cam, if you're shooting, for example, a famous person, you might have more than, than one camera. And that means extra operators will be one DP on, like overseeing them, but you need more operators. Uh, on films, there usually be at least two cameras, which means usually DP operates one and then the second camera is operated by someone else. Again, we're talking different budgets. Like on something very big, there'll be up to six, up to 20 cameras on some days if it's a stunt. Um, and you see that less on commercials if it's like a one normal camera that you would bring operated just to operate normal camera. Sure. I think it's budget. Like you're paying like a lot of money for that. How, um, how do you feel about directors uh, operating? I feel fine if they're good operators. If they're not good operators, I feel shit like, like anyone would, I think. But it's rare. Like, I rarely see it. It's odd because it means director is not observing scene. Yeah, exactly. At least from a monitor and thinking, oh, I could improve that. There's so much to worry. Like, you're breathing your, totally. your muscles and stuff like that. I, um, for sure, I, I 
you know, we did a micro short, my last short, and we did it on a, you know, the tightest budget. Imagine me and the writer and two actors in a single location, and I did everything, sound mm-hmm. operated everything. And it was a really liberating experience, but my God, like, you know, just even checking everything's in focus. You mm-hmm. cannot yeah. do the job that you need to do that's most important for the story at that point. Um, but that was a huge learning curve. But yeah, it's, it's good to sort of, I think, come through the ranks of being... Um, I guess having experienced different things and being able to communicate correctly with departments and how you do things. Um, have you seen multiple, um, I guess a sort of a side question, have you seen a lot of roles now doubling up? Like for example, um, DPs who are now editors or DPs who are now graders, DPs who are now doing um, Depends on the, on the kind of level of these people, I would say. Uh, there are some DPs for colorists, uh, like graders, um, but it's quite rare. Like if it's a, like, commercial dp or commercial level dp i think they're just not gonna have time like it yeah. means they're booked for grading but it's odd they can give it to someone who's probably objectively better than them yeah um yeah just just for, for that reason okay um i just i think there's like a big question there elia betelem she's asking also, by the way, you guys ought to watch it on the on the Jack's YouTube channel because we're going to be looking at some frames and it's not going to appear on Instagram. So go to the link in my bio or go to uh, YouTube and search Jack versus life um, if you're watching it as a replay. She's asking, OK, seriously, big fan here. How intelligent? Oh, thank you. How intelligent do you have? Do you think a DP ought to be 100 being average and one for five being genius level? Also, who else is rumored to have had an IQ of 180? Who who Although, was awesome? I don't believe that. Awesome Wells. Awesome Wells, yeah. I would say like I'm um, a level of Wilson Wells is intelligent. <laughs> kidding. Um, I don't know. I don't know how you measure measure how intelligent you have to be. I think you have to be. You have to have so much. Like apart from intelligence in that terms, I think you have to be quite um, have quite decent empathy. You have to mm-hmm. be. Uh, know how to read the script well and understand what how do you translate it visually you have to also come up with ideas uh, I mean fairly constantly if you're not coming up with new ideas you're probably repeating other people's ideas so at least trying to push the envelope yeah uh, but I think it's just with like with any job you, you know Jesus I mean I think intelligent I think I think intelligence is so overrated it, yeah it's so overrated I mean it's like I mean, look at Jack anyone exactly anyone <laughs> who knows me knows that I am not book smart at all I'm a very slow reader I, you know I, I'm not very good at numbers and letters and all that kind of stuff but you know you could be you know I consider myself to be quite creative and, and that just is like a key asset also a good communicator is a key thing for both any HR, I think any you know HR what helps with, for creative people is to be self-critical yes like to be but without falling into the abyss of being depressed. Or, oh my god! Oh shit! I'm shit, and that's it. Oh my I god! I think that's the kind of the muscle people have to train, like not to fall into this weird YouTube system where everyone praises you, especially if you're like a vlogger. Because obviously, we know people like like I'm not saying they're not good enough to be praised, but I think they have to be careful. How do they develop from there? If thousands of people scream to under every video how great that video is, so they have to be self-critical. Probably take criticism from your colleagues rather than your fans. Totally. Um, and your peers, the people who and respect. And you're going to get better and better, yeah. There's something it's that... It's objective. Like, I mean, you look at other people's work, and you're like, I, yeah, that's good, that's good, that's good. Let me ask you this then, because um, it's certainly something that I suffer from. Do you ever get a sort of a sense of imposter syndrome at this stage of your career? 
And do you know what I mean what do you by mean, copying it, other people? No, imposter syndrome is this idea that we all think that we're not good at what we do. We think we're an imposter. It's like I'm going to be, ah, I'm going okay. to be found out any moment. Artist syndrome. Yeah, like I, an imposter syndrome. So like it's this kind of thing where you kind of you're very self-defeatist in, in thinking that it's like oh god, I've got to you know I'm going to be found out at any moment that I'm just terrible at this. Fuck, not. Uh, I don't know if it sounds dickheady, but not really. Like I guess cause I would have been found out already i know when i do shit stuff like it's it's in this day and age obviously i put only the best stuff on instagram and i think that's where people might think oh my god he's so great like there are some projects which i, I couldn't crack i shot them on on autopilot i tried my best but maybe some ideas didn't work and i could share them but maybe i would share them in this kind of space where i'd be like yeah it didn't look why it didn't work i'm this- actually prepping a talk about 12 mistakes i've done so in, in that sense, there are projects like that. But beating myself for that, it's, it's part of learning. Like, I'm not ob- oblivious to my mistakes. That's interesting. I think that um, we are very much in an environment now, sort of with social media and digitally, and we touched on this last episode. But it's something that I've certainly been um, very guilty of in the last year is being hypercritical based on what I see on social media. But can I tell you, can I ask you, is it because you feel you plateaued? Is it because your number has plateaued, say, on Instagram, on YouTube? Yeah. For me, views... But people feel they're so good when it grows, but as soon as you, like, hit, like, a certain line, they're like, oh, am I not growing because I'm shit? Let me ask you, I so, in answer to your question, there's two things that, that, that sort of, something I've been learning a lot of bit recently, is your values and metrics. So what's your value? What's the thing that you want to value and how are you measuring that? Okay? Yeah. And I learned very early on in my YouTube career that if you go on hard, cold metrics of, let's say, views, then you are appeasing a certain metric, which, in my opinion, does not validate the, what you want it to be. So, mm-hmm. for example, you know, I'd make a video, you know, back when I was doing stuff in front of the camera, like riding around London or doing something or making a stupid sound effect video, whatever, yeah. right? And it would get 30,000 views or something yeah. like that. Easy. And then you and I would go off and shoot a film like Ringo, which, you know, takes a whole huge amount of effort and energy and it would get 5,000 views. But that's always like that. Oh, exactly. So, so for me, that, like that, that metric, like I'm, but however, if I knew out of those 5,000 views, my peers had watched it and commented and said, man, this is awesome, really great work. And maybe even gave me some constructive criticism. I'd yeah. be like, awesome. Because there's certain people that I just view in my head of being people that I respect. I value their work. I, I like what they do, is in, you know, so on and so forth. They're my, they're my metrics. And mm-hmm. I often find, in that's to your question, when I go on in social media and Instagram and I kind of post something and it's not about the views, but it's if, if certain people haven't liked it. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like that's how I then, I, then I start going, you know, and also it goes the other way. It's like I follow a lot of directors. I follow a lot of DPs and photographers on Instagram. And I I'm, thought it's only me. I <laughs> know. Sorry, man. Um, and I constantly look at that, some of their, like, their stuff and I go, I go, oh my God, why am I not making that stuff? Like what, you know, I watch something like kind of, um, you know. And then, then the trick is everyone does. Exactly. Fucking everyone but Roger Deakins does exactly. that, you know. Maybe Libatique, maybe Matty yeah. and, um, and, and Chivo don't do that. Interestingly, so uh, just taking it back to yourself, like you started, so then you quickly, how long was it until you left uh, university, became uh, officially, the phone uh, rang, hello, Edgar DP? Uh, I think uh, it was a very cut kind of 
point was very very precise point i was a second assistant on like a short or something and the next job onwards was dping a feature documentary yeah. actually in california with my friend matt palmer uh he invited me well at that stage he was my friend um he just hired me from mm -hmm. mandy.com randomly i sent the cv there is that still going mandy .com? He, i don't know and he, uh, he flew me in and we did a feature doc in a month uh, about a summer camp for mentally disabled people and how they paired to each other and it's called friends of mine it's online actually you can check it out um and then after that i was like okay i've sort of featured the commentary in in what was the setup for that what was, the, what was the gear? What was sort of you like? FS, F, not FS7, F55, I think it was, with some uh, Canon Prime, something very basic, oh, like F a Doco. Um, FS500, I think it was, wasn't no, it? No, I think it was F55, I think it was called. It was like FS7, oh, right. well, okay. but Decent. like a bit, oh, right. okay. yeah, yeah, we pushed it as, as far as we could, it was like Zakuto rigs, and it yeah, was yeah, like yeah. that wave, like not shooting on the DSLR, but yeah, minis yeah. were not out yet and stuff like that. So after that, it was just deeping. Um, and how old were you then? Uh, I was probably about 21. Wow. It's pretty young. 22, maybe. DP Seven at 22? 22, yeah. So wait a minute, what year did you graduate university then? 2010. So 2010, and you graduated at the age of 21? No, then I had like a couple years, and then that yes, happened. Yes, yes. Yeah. Okay, yeah, interesting. Yeah, about seven years ago. What, um... Is there an average age, would you say, for like when people start calling themselves DPs? No, not really. Too early. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's an average. So, and and the rest is the rest is history. Um, how was it when we first started? Was it like was oh, it? Oh, there's a lot of yeah. You got questions? Yeah, let's see. Go on, fire them out. I'm 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 interested to hear what they are. Uh, uh, Jack is asking, do you do projects for yourself or for others? <laughs> I only do projects for others, and that's part of maybe talking about the YDPs and not directors. Well, this is uh, funny enough. It's 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 tapping in. It's a really great great question. But yeah. I'd often I mean, the way I'd interpret that is almost saying like you do do projects for yourself okay. by doing projects for others. Usually when it's pro bono I gigs. Yes, I guess. If you're doing a gig for free, yeah, that's because you're one of doing it. Obviously, you. you it's wanna... mixed. It's mixed. Why I'm doing it. It's mixed. There's <laughs> politics involved and there's... <laughs> I could be doing it because I haven't done a project like that. Sure. If it's on a reduced rate or I want to meet that director or production sure. company. Um, but not necessarily. Yeah, there are commercials which I'm like, I'm, I, I think, oh, wow. I'm, I li like literally, I live and work for those projects to yeah. come through. And they sometimes pay. They're very highly paid. Uh, like meeting your kind of director gurus or director kind of stars in your mind the ones you follow that you watch their films and stuff yeah. and you're like fuck they like want me to work with them like me mere yeah. mortal to, to shoot their next project yeah. I think that's a project I'm like oh wow that's about the best gratification you kind of get yeah. uh, from a job or and plus usually the projects are pretty good like they're pretty unique um, and I think yeah all sorts not necessarily no like i still combine i try to to kind of live like that's my my profession so i have to be paid um and then um yeah but yeah that's really that's, that's a super interesting question um well but i don't I basically in my mind no i don't shoot projects for myself and that's the biggest i think difference between dp and director or maybe it's just me but i always see it as a project for the director 
or if it's a certain like artist we're shooting for something it's their project like understand that i'm there to translate what director or that artist thinks into visuals yeah um and i think that'd be an amazing opportunity for us to uh what'd be great is to basically maybe uh look at some of your work um yeah that we could look at because you know there's certain projects that you've done um which obviously i'm I'm a fan of um Mm -hmm. and so we're going to try something out here on the um podcast guys uh, the live stream anyone watching um you'll have the opportunity those who are listening to this will try and make it not as visually uh integral uh, and it'll be a little bit visual agnostic however we're going to pull up a few of Edgar's frames uh-huh. uh, from from his work um, from which he can sort of give us a bit of a breakdown of them and I, I will start off with um, some of your, your latest work which uh, we mentioned earlier in the intro was uh, One Week in April so this was a project called One Week in April it was a short doc with the same director that did the mentally disabled uh, doc a feature um, and Matt uh, Palmer and you can find it online it's called One Week in April you can find it on my website which is edgardop.com mm. um, and it's a doc about the situation in USA where um, basically kids once a week kid under the age of four finds their parents guns and shoot themselves and die as in shoot to death um, and one week what happened there was four of them in one week and so basically Matt, the director, called me at 2 a.m. in the morning uh, and said, dude, I read this article in New York Times about the situation. Do you want to go go make the commentary about it? I was like, hell yeah, let's do it. So 10 days later, landed in Atlanta. We rent a car. We get a PA. Uh, uh, with P- uh, we, rent, we rent a car, get a PA, who is Brian, who became a friend of mine. And he's also co-producer of the film now. And we go through these four states in mid-America um, shooting kids so and it's their you, families. So it's you, the director slash producer. Yeah. Uh, one a, assistant and a PA slash producer and you yeah three of us no sound uh, no sound no Matt did sound himself like Herzog style <laughs> nice and yeah so these frames are actually frame. from from the documentaries um, and then not set to an extent the documentaries not set um, and we just went through every place where that happens and tried to interview people and and kind of make a portrait of grief yeah um, I was very lucky um you and I, you and I were at the um, Leeds Film Festival, and I managed to see a very early cut of this film. Yeah, uh, you, you know, and I can remember watching it then, and, and being, and even in an uncompleted state, being like, "Wow, mm-hmm. this is um, a really great, um, a really great piece." Um, By the way, those who are listening to a podcast or Instagram live, that's the time to go to Jack's YouTube channel and find this and scroll to. Whatever minute that this is, uh, we're at um, fifty-three minutes. Fifty-three minutes already. Uh, fifty-three yeah. minutes um, and fine because we're showing frames from. Yeah, it. yeah, totally. Um, but yeah, no, it was great. So in terms of um, how with this project and other projects, how is it? Uh, do you have a sort of a standard practice of how you? Uh, approach a project creatively from a DOP's point of view do you have a certain checklist do you have a certain um, 101 of how you think about a project yeah so should we go back to us or you want to go through these frames well we can go through a few of these frames so basically with something like that we made a a kind of overall list of stuff how to tell a story how to tell how to explain a portrait of grief of someone losing a child to a gun um, and we made these little scenes. Uh, okay, we want to shoot normal kids, but in a strange state, like this shot, um, like this yeah. boy. Um, so we shot actual family with two black kids, a black family in a quite good neighborhood, and shot them being alive. So there was kind of scenes which showed 
kids still being alive. Uh, what they would do, where they would play the games and stuff like that. So, for example, a choice trying of, to, sorry, to interrupt, sorry, trying to emulate these subjects. We're trying to yeah, as, as actors if, emulate yeah. the, the 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 narrative. What you're hearing. Yeah, 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 and possibly kind of hinting that's what normal kids do. They don't fucking touch guns when they're three. Um, they just keep playing in this house. But there's eerie scenes to that, and that's kind of, that kind of stuff is not set. He was just not. He didn't want to be filmed. Like he was just playing with us and stuff. So he ran into a corner, turned out, yeah. himself into the corner, and I ran upstairs and kind of using a very wide-angle lens. I think it's like twelve or fourteen mil. I was uh, about to say it's seven. the widest angle yeah, ever. Uh, shot this, and then it got obviously used frame. in the film. Um, I guess one thing is, is interesting. One thing that I think potentially younger individuals getting involved in the film industry um, is certainly one thing that I've learned is. Everyone keeps thinking about camera choice in terms of like, you need the best camera visually. You need an Alexa. You need mm-hmm. this. You need that. Um, and it goes to show, like, you know, would you say it's fair to say it's certainly something for myself as a director? Do you have a kind of a checklist of the camera that you, you want to use for a project? Um, yeah, I would say I don't own gear. I don't know if we should show other stuff or show us or something. Um, yeah, we can go back. Um, yeah, sorry, I don't know own gear. Uh, and that's kind of one of my rules to an extent uh, because every project is different. So making new list and production usually hires whatever is needed and I tailor it to budget and, and stuff like that and the look because um, it goes from like weight to how easy it is to use the camera. What's the Full pose factor. like? Yeah, yeah, there's so much stuff to, to kind of think about. There's lenses and um, is there going to be a lot of gear? Do I need an easy rig to, to, to save my back? Um, mm. So it, all of that goes through. I would say maybe something like Alexa Mini is my default, but even then, it, when it becomes too defaulty, like it starts to look like you've shot everything on Alexa Mini. So sometimes you experiment and shoot in red. Like I shot a commercial recently because the director was like, oh, I don't actually like the look of Alexa Mini. I was like, oh really? It's like, yeah, let's shoot it in red. I was like, yeah, let's shoot it. Like I haven't shot in red for like a year. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there, there are those decisions. It's I don't think there's like a best camera, basically. Yeah, there is oh, a best camera for each project, project. Absolutely, but not overall. It's it's really interesting. I've kind of come across over the years talking to younger filmmakers, people, producers, or you know, people producing their first shorts, like, and they blow the budget on the camera, mm-hmm. you know, and they think that they need to get an Alexa because it's a short, and it's like you know, mm-hmm. and like you have to, you know, I, the first thing I always say is like, what are you compromising on by getting that camera? to A, other departments, but more importantly, the welfare of your crew and your cast. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, from that, and that's once again where only experience can kind of dictate that kind of thing. Um, and in the projects I've done, my priority has always been, for example, how well can I look after everyone in these gigs? Like, if I'm doing my own project, then I know the money's tight, and I yeah. know that, for example, the camera department, it's like, look, these are the, ca- you know, what camera do you want to use versus the camera that you we can afford? You know, you have to just say, this is the budget. Mm-hmm. This is your budget. And this is what, you know, whatever. And then you can put together that package. Um, I think that's really imperative, that workflow, rather than being potentially the other way around, where it's... And there obviously are conversations that can be had over certain, you know, uh, choices. Um, but that is something that I've, I've learned over the years, is, is that kind of have to have that conversation and be honest with yourself. Because, yeah, I mean, it's just stupid. You know, a, a, a short film is not... Its quality is not based on the, the the amount of pixels in the sensor of the camera. Do you know what I mean? Or the kind of how the latest gear that they had. Like, oh, we had a Movi rig and an Alexa, and we had like a you know a, dro- a DJI Phantom Drive. It's like, yeah, but you know, were people happy doing it? Well, the, you know what? How, 
was the story compromised in any way? Yeah, and the way your actor is good. Yeah. That's the biggest question. <laughs> yeah, God, man. I, no, that's um, true. It's crazy. So um, that's interesting. We'll, um, so that was um, documentary. You've always struck me as someone who has um, documentaries very close to your heart. Yeah, uh, yeah, I love doco. I just came from Sheffield Doc Fest. Yeah. Just as, a, just as an audience. <laughs> and saw some, just like, being with a cu- culture vulture. Yeah, yeah, like two days. I, I really advise anyone who likes interesting and new films, go, go see Sheffield Documentary Festival if you're based in UK. I guess mm. it's in a year because I just came back from that last yeah. year. I think you can get pretty cheap tickets if you buy in advance. So um, we've got a question here from Jack, uh, not me, um, on the live stream. Who's basically said uh, another um, pros? That's a big question. Another pros and cons of being a director of photography, um, as well as your own personal perspective of enjoyment. And I, one of my questions was, yeah. do you? How much do you enjoy your job? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's very good questions, Jack. Okay, um, so pros and cons. I mean, we, I mean, we could be here all day, uh, but um, gives you top. Top one of each, would you say? Pros, I would say amount of people I can meet because of my job and amount of access I get because of my job. I've been to all sorts. I've been on JFK's yacht where he uh, anecdotally uh, was with Marilyn Monroe. I've been to uh, I don't know how many countries and, and all over the world have been to access behind the scenes of certain, I don't know, factories and met, I don't know, football stars and had a chat with great actors and stuff. So that's great. Um, uh, cons is probably health. Uh, days are brutal. Like uh, days are average is 11 hour day. Like that's a typical day, 10 plus one on a commercial. And that's Flat usually out. the standard. Yeah, the, the drama is about 12 hour day. And you you do get battered a little bit because even for director that's a bit less physical work for DPs usually if they operate especially you basically do not sit down you like you barely eat because during lunch you sometimes have discussions or watch rushes and oh, stuff yeah, like that I think that's the biggest con that even at that my early age I feel certain consequences so I would say fucking look after yourself people. I I will say as well anyone out there who is thinking of producing you know for example their first short film as well one thing you have to understand about as a director working with camera department is the camera department will never stop because if you're shooting a scene you're then in the scene and mm-hmm. if you've got the luxury of having a gaffer and you're you know you've got sound you know sound's not an issue they can be pre-lighting the next scene but if, mm-hmm. effectively if you're dealing with lower budget stuff you're shooting the scene straight away you're going to the next scene pre-lighting that and lighting that as well as discussing shots doing it and then operating it i mean it will never stop whereas some departments in between scenes will have that downtime it's like okay we've wrapped a scene the actors in yeah. hair and making costume yeah it's, and then it's true. so they never stop so we're going back to sort of earlier point is make sure that you know everyone particularly camera department is well looked after and it's as simple as hot drinks water access snacks d- really good food like you know healthy you know uh, wholesome food yeah, hot it, food, hot I, food. I mean i just it sounds so basic but the amount of shoots that probably you and i've been on where it's like oh it's cold pizza for lunch yeah it's like oh, it's like more yellow yeah food. it gets super good after a certain budget on commercials and stuff you can't complain there's like <laughs> chefs yeah it's like scallops you. and avocado and yeah like, that's just, how it is yeah, like it's I crazy. kid you not it's like yeah. amazing lunches and stuff but um, yeah before like at a certain level you will struggle and I think you have to put your foot down I had I have an anecdote where a gaffer 
um, sort of because you meant to get a, a little is. break. Gaffer is my chief kind of lieutenant again. There's a focus puller who's chief lieutenant for camera, and, and Gaffer is a chief lieutenant for lighting. So he's overseeing the lighting department for me. I have two main people there, and uh, on one job because you meant to get a pen uh, a break of thirty minutes or at least a meal after five hours after lunch. So usually it's about six seven p.m. Tea and uh, yeah, tea time. You meant to stop, but if you don't stop, at least you have meant to have hot food. And the uh, producer gave him like a little paper bag, and he opens, and it's an energy drink, a Snickers, and a pa- pack of salty crisps. And he just exploded. He was like, "Would you fucking eat this every day?" Like, because they—that's the mindset of low-budget producers. They're like, "Yeah, come on, it's like a couple it's days. One day, it's like, yeah. Oh, just a week." But for a gaffer, like a working gaffer, he goes from like commercial to commercial to commercial to sometimes doing these kind of shoots, and he's like. Dude, I can't eat it, seriously. Like, I lift weights, basically, for 12 hours. It's basically being in the gym for something like 11 hours, let's say. That's how hard it is on them, on the lighting department. You basically lift. Yeah, you have, obviously, downtime where you sit down, but it is pretty hard work. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's interesting. that's a con. Um, so, talking about commercial work, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll flip over again. Um to just give us one second guys while I just didn't put the sound we're going to flip over to talking about um, your commercial work with Coz mm-hmm. um, and so uh, just give us 20 seconds guys you're just going to lose audio very quickly Tim Gibson popped in as well okay um, cool we're back let me quickly check what's uh... yeah we're just going to go to some of the questions guys on uh Edgar's Instagram feed. Yeah, I'll come back to that. So let's let's. Okay, cool. Cause, yeah. Um, so this is cars. I've just pulled up. Uh, we got some frames here from from this. Can you just explain a little bit what this project was, Edgar? Yeah. So if you go to a wide shot, I guess it's a bit easier to understand. I think it's the first one. Uh, bear with me. Mm-hmm. So this was a commercial uh, for Cause, um, this clothing company, uh, with Studio Swine, which is this great two artists. Um, coming up with with mad ideas, <laughs> and I shot a were project the, with them. The I shot a Swarovski. Yeah, no, no, no. They were like they basically they asked the director Yurin Bui from RSA to shoot this piece for them, and he's good friends of them. And we've shot a bunch of stuff for them before, and we shot the Swarovski job, which is also on my website. Um, so this was another big job for them. It's basically set in a tiny Italian. I think it was Italy. Yeah, it was Milan um, theater. And they basically build a structure which produces uh, bubbles filled with smoke. Wow. And we had a day or two days to shoot it, to shoot the whole commercial. Um, yeah, and I was kind of uh, more tech-savvy commercials where I used previs for the first time. The Cine Designer. Uh, can you just explain for what Cinema 4D. Can you just uh, explain previs? For yeah, basically it's like a 3D stuff where you build these things in 3D, including people and then you can kind of light them and the computer will render it how will the light will look so i can program certain heights and, and colors and stuff and i can see oh, okay i need a bit more light here a bit less light there we basically if you google cine designer uh yeah. for cinema that's, 4D, the that's the software i use you'll see there's all sorts of videos um so i locked myself in learned it in three days because i was like i need to figure this out because there was no way i could figure it out without that because i i had no recce recce is when you fly to location and see location before the shoot so i didn't so i, I was sent measurements sent pictures and they were like okay so what gear do you need i was like well give me a couple of days i need to figure this out so we were discussing the height of the tree and stuff like that and the depth of the studio. I needed to tell them, basically as a DP, I needed to tell them exact position where the tree had to be. I could also ask them to make it smaller or bigger. So we went at kind of 
highest possible level chopping it just a bit on the top which you don't need yeah and even we shot the full height they, they shrunk it in some shots you see that actually and that's like the whole fight and that's also quite conscious because i can see you've just cut off the the rig behind the light behind right yeah yeah they were basically rigged at the very 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 top of that theater they had like a scaffold system nice. to do that so yeah that was kind of more tech savvy so can you then, explain just this frame here just for like what's going on here what what's um what you're lensing on and what is the lights Ooh, I think it was uh, if I don't if I remember correctly it was probably Master Primes um, on a, uh, Alexa Mini okay and there was a three lights in a row blended by some diffusion so they don't produce three shadows backlighting that tree and then a couple big big like 12 by 12 feet bounce kind of I don't know how to explain it but basically uh, probably ultra bounce which is a textile which bounces back a lot of light so basically massive reflectors on the left and right to fill her shadow mm. side in so that she doesn't become a silhouette so you still see the garments and stuff yeah, i guess if nice. you go through so the bounce so the bounce the bounce is in in basically is in front of the like to the side of the camera's here yeah now. yeah where the blackness appears that's yeah. probably where the bounces started cool uh, because they probably were removed in post, they were kind of and that was the, and that darkness. was the source for the bounce. There. Yeah, on the top, that's the source okay. uh, for for everything. Uh, there was, was no it. specific source for the bounce. Yeah, it was okay. literally three lights, and then we had three on each side. And then when we shoot on the side of a tree, we would kill those three and turn the other three on. So the tree is always backlit. Okay. Um, to show and then yeah, something like that you see on her left side of her face. Uh, well, our left. There's a bounce reflected on her, yeah. just to kind of uh, like enhance how. Like a beautiful bone structure and then the right that's the bounce from those three massive lights yeah. probably filtered by something like a four by four reflector uh four by four sort of diffusion which blends it into one yeah. soft source Interesting. Um, yes i guess if you go through yeah that's you see full backlight and that bounce on her on her chin just happens naturally from the garment yeah and wow. i didn't enhance anything i just kind of noticed that i was like oh that's super lovely Who? stuff like that for example the hair that's like a the hair designer had to really work to make that hair like this because on a lower budget people would like not have time and, and they would just shoot it like that mm, but you actually need a bit of time like a good 20 minutes to make hair this frisk free and i think they even had to clean it in post it's called beauty post so you remove some of the stray hairs sure that's interesting it's cool yeah so yeah just some kind of nice b-roll and stuff um I guess the um, so we're back live. Um, commercial work versus uh, documentary, mm -hmm. um, particularly obviously depending on what the commercial is and, and, and who the client is and the creative and everything. But um, it's almost like you know every minute detail has to be considered. Like you just mentioned her hair there, the light there. Yeah. The, because the budget is so much, mm -hmm. then therefore there has to be executed to the almost uh, you know nth degree, doesn't it? Yeah. Let me just uh, I'll start restart my live. Because uh, it stopped here. Uh, because of the thing, there's a little limit. That's cool. So sorry, I'm just starting my live on Instagram. So guys, if you just logged in, uh, go to the you the Jack versus Live YouTube channel. That's where this is getting streamed too. So you can see the frames we're discussing. This is not for Instagram, but thanks for tuning in. And yeah, please ask your questions um <laughs> sorry so yeah at a commercial after a certain point you basically you have no excuse to to be shit as blunt as it sounds basically you cannot have excuse they will ask you what do you need to do the yep. job and that's the level at which you're like 
oh wow okay so i can't be like you yeah, guys but you didn't have enough lights oh yeah guys we shot on uh, fs7 instead of uh, alexa like what do you expect no like they ask you what do you need to perform it or how do we achieve it if it's like zero gravity shot or underwater shoot and stuff like that you must have an answer yeah you must it might ask a little bit of time to figure it out yeah but yeah that's that's what happens you, you have zero excuse because nice. if there's lower budget then obviously even in good producers mind there's a certain excuse uh, to to every department yeah of course you can't you can't deliver to us when, the max max i guess it's fair to say when you start operating in the commercial realm like playtime's over there's no excuses really mm -hmm. like you know budget will always be you know a factor but it's like you know you know the factors going into it unless there's any kind of variables i mean even variables don't you know if you're doing exterior shoes and it's like oh the wind just picked up and it's like blowing or like the sun's not come out or if there's external varying factors like okay fair enough but if everything's in your own control then it's like the pressure's really on to, mm -hmm. to execute and nail yeah absolutely. particularly if the time's short as well which it usually is as well mm -hmm. um interesting we'll just do one more set of um i just want to get into some sort of like really uh Deep diving a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, so let's just do one more so set So the sound of... is going to disappear again yeah. for a moment, guys. Okay. Just give, uh, give us 10 seconds. Bang. And we're back. Um, Sorry, uh, yeah, ask a question. So um, what people are seeing on screen right now, we've um, got a shot here of uh, David Beckham, and this was... Um, for an Adidas commercial campaign, um, yeah. working with the man himself, uh, DB. Yeah. Um, could you give us a little bit more context as to what this was and uh, what the project is? Yeah. One second. I'm just learning how to. You should. This. You got to multitask, man. Come on. Yeah, you're you're a DOP. Say, say. <laughs> hey, everyone. There's a bunch of people watching. So. Uh, yeah, let's ask some, let's some questions yeah. actually on on Insta. Have you got anything? No, because basically when I finished it, ah. they kind of reset. So. I'm sorry, guys. If you want to type some questions again, because we reached a, a, a limit of one hour on Insta Live, so I'm just I have to restart this. Um, so yeah, it's interesting. Any, by the way, guys, anyone watching this, by all means, fire any questions um, for Edgar uh, while he's here. So great. So yeah, this this uh, what we're looking at here, Edgar, is uh, DB. DB from the back, good old David Beckham. Um, yeah, so what was the question? Uh, sorry, the question I'm just was in what, awe what, of what, his, what is what is this? Um, what is the uh, what's the context of this project? It just says a little bit about, mm, more about it. Yeah, so it was for We're Social, a company called We're Social. A director Chris Ranson, who we shot a bunch of stuff before, and, and you can find some of it on, on my website. Um, yeah, there were new Adidas trainers, the new Predators coming out, and they wanted to make a film, which took us half a year to make. We met him, we shot uh, David three times in different um, countries, actually. We shot him in Germany and England uh, throughout the process. So when he was still at the very, very, very first um, talk with head designers, and then manufacturing process, and then actually final kind of... Um, Product. Uh, that's Germany, the uh, Adidas HQ there. Yeah, uh, Herzl, Nuremberg. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's an amazing building. I have like a special underground lab for testing stuff, which is absolutely true. Um, mm. Yeah. So if you want to talk any anything. So um, so uh, this this was shot over the course of a year, three half, half a year. Yeah, three separate shoots. Yeah. I think a day each and a pre light on this. So just give us a little bit more sort of the context, like what was the unit like, what uh, camera to use, like was it a big scale, small scale? It was fairly decent size. We had the uh, extra operator, extra two operators. Sorry, I think. Um, 
Stu uh, Billcom was on the other camera and the third camera I genuinely don't remember I think it was like a local guy um, and then I was on, on one of the cameras as well because because with when you work with celebrities when you work at this kind of the gods of, uh, of sports you get them for a certain amount of uh, hours or minutes in some yeah. cases so you you kind of usually set a lot of cameras up and you shoot a lot of lighting scenarios like for this commercial this the portrait we're looking at now and if you flick through other uh, examples that's actually all set in one space um and i think we had four lighting setups so and david would walk through these setups i've pre-lit the day before with my team um and we would spend i can't remember maybe half an hour each in each setup and they would talk in some and some would be just slow motion shots uh, and i would shoot some close-ups of his tattoos like how long how long would you get with him then i honestly don't remember i don't remember uh, but it was a okay time because obviously it was actually his project so it was quite involved he would yeah. discuss designs with them genuinely discuss and we would record some conversations and stuff mm. um, yeah but it was it was an interesting and everyone was happy client was happy yeah I think I was super happy and you can still find like a 15 minute long film about oh, the whole wow. process on my website there's three one minute segments just kind of the most interesting Great. moments I think and stuff like that like this shot is actually it was pre-planned we wrecked it we flew as director about a week before the first segment and actually looked at the whole uh, where we would shoot each scene and we came up with this idea where we basically asked the security guard to click on and off <laughs> <laughs> the main lighting in this test grounds they have so it's just db walking in total darkness and the lights go boom, on boom, and boom, yeah boom. i did not pre-light it i i came up with the idea and we actually asked like just the pa to be on the like literally buy the lighting switch on the wall and just click the like one two three and the two 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 and you have nice man effect. that's great um so yeah when um let me see if we've got any questions on the live stream sure. coming in. I think there was one uh, quite interesting, again, from Jack. Um, do you feel yeah. like a passion has been ruined by commercialism? Um, do no, like I don't. I don't. I think commercials give me chance uh, to shoot kind of most complicated ideas. And usually the most complicated ideas, if we're not talking about plot or or feature films or kind of like that stuff they require budget like as as honest as it is they just need money uh to pull off certain stuff be it for gear or be it for top talent in each department because you want to get a good gaffer you want to get a good focus puller otherwise you're just shooting more takes if your stuff is soft <laughs> as simple as that so that requires money even that alone requires money to to lock them into production <coughs> yeah. so no i don't think passion wise no like I, I i shoot all sorts of projects um yeah, that's quite interesting. And also, I think, you know, depending on the commercial project as well, you know, you resonate with the creative. If the creators, you know, could easily fulfill a passion. If you're shooting like a dog commercial, it's like, you know, a doggy hit, it's like, all right, okay. I mean, it is it is what it is. There's not too much, like, yeah. creativity involved here. Yeah, it's a dog running up to a food bowl and eating it. Like, you know. But, where but even still, bizarrely, you become quite, like, perfectionist about it. You're like, oh, yeah, can we do it again? The dog didn't do it really well. Oh, I, I'll improve the lighting so that you can see the fur better yeah. and stuff. I don't know. Like, I, I don't think I've ever kind of just zoned out and went on full autopilot. Um, I, I guess I'm my point... I'm still excited, but sure, <laughs> somehow, sure. I don't know how. Yeah, I guess the point is, it's like, um, you'll still, you know, your passion won't be, like, ignited, but you'll still obviously turn up for the day of work. But You um, almost come up with stuff to improve. You're like, I have never shot animals. Let's see what gear I need, how they, they behave and stuff. Yeah. Uh, I remember shooting, again, another anecdote. I remember being a focus puller on a job. 
um, and the uh, and the dogs were in a green screen space and they were on a green screen treadmills walking and I was so freaked out because I could not understand why the fuck the floor is moving because everything was green and thre treadmill as well so we're just all over these massive Dobermans and stuff they're like all so cool and they step on this floor which is moving and now oh my fucking god I just ran towards the camera and stuff yeah. Um, so yeah that's an experience wow um, so you learned that don't yeah. put a dog on a green screen treadmill well it is that I mean it is it is like amazing to see you know DPs do have you know way more experience than you know well they spend way more time on set than most of the department so you guys will almost come up with the ideas and the, the how to resolve a problem just mm. with the kind of it'll be the most silliest thing as well do you know what mm. I mean like a lot of it is imp you know a lot of time spent on set is troubleshooting and improvising problems yeah, yeah absolutely um, and being like oh god if we only had that one piece of gear but we don't so how do we mm -hmm. do this do that you know whatever uh, I, that's one of my favorite things and that's things. where usually like my team is very good at I have very good gaffers and very good focus pullers and grips like fuck like they come up with all sorts so from from silly solutions like Danny uh, Leviate the grip I shot um, a commercial last week couple of weeks ago we needed yes yeah, some kind of turntable and our the one we got wasn't working so he just made one from a slider on and and dolly so he literally like figured out that it just kind of spins in a very normal nice manner if you just kind of push it yeah in a in correct intervals that's great <laughs> yes yeah, so stuff like that like um one thing um the main point well the main uh, topic of this is we want to talk about why it is directors of photography aren't directors yeah, and that comes uh, to another question from Jack, who asks, would you prefer full control or collaboration? And I think um, that's the biggest difference in a way. I think, I'm not saying every director is like a power-hungry maniac who needs full control, but it's full responsibility as well for someone who is a director. They sign it off. For DPs, we always collaborate. There isn't a project where there is no director and there's just DP. I mean, maybe there is, but it's a very strange situation. And I, I had a project where I was brought before director. I had stuff like that happen, but then either I suggest a director or they're still choosing a director, for example. Um, and DPs thrive on collaboration. They thrive on bouncing ideas around visually with, with directors. So let me ask this personal question. Why is it that, for example, you wouldn't then just like to do the role of director and work with a DP? Mm, because my mind, I think, is wired as every DP's mind is, I think, towards visually telling the story and not telling story in writing, for example. A good director has to be astonishingly good in writing. Um, not necessarily to write his stuff, but maybe to pitch ideas, for example, because a lot of it is over emails or treatments when you when you pitch for commercials or meetings and stuff. And he has to be, or she has to be astonishingly good in casting. And I think that kind of stuff, DPs are not involved at all, and maybe not even that interested at all. Like, they, yeah, they would be nice to have a more photogenic or more interesting face, but DPs, when they read the script, they think about visual straight away. They think about story, but they have pictures in their mind, whatever they say, they have pictures, some sort of kind of appearing in the mind, where to some extent, a lot of directors, and I was surprised, they don't. They literally don't. They read it as a plot, they're interested in how it all kind of comes together, and multi-layeredness of it, and who's gonna play, and, and why the character is doing this and that, and they can spend a lot of time on that. But a lot of the directors are not that interested in what happens visually, and that's where we come in. Because we are 
mainly interested in that that's at least what we need to be interested in and yeah. i think that's the biggest difference yeah that's quite interesting i um but i often think you know there's um every director will be different in their kind of their approach and what they resonate off like you know someone like fincher for example is like yeah. you know he's a visual guy i mean he is like all about you know he obviously comes from a dp background he, i think i'm not sure no i don't yeah. think so but then you'll have uh, someone but like he's Paul, an, he's an exception and then you have someone like Paul Thomas Anderson who is like all about the script and the writing yeah. and the characters but then he shot his last film oh, interesting uh, Phantom the Thread Phantom Thread there was no DP on set he shot he it he was the DP wow. yeah. well like on, on paper I think in reality it was a gaffer and, and grip and focus pull and operator yeah, yeah, yeah. helping but um, yeah he didn't need as a DP but that's also these are like extreme examples yeah, it's true. we also have Soderbergh who is also his own DP yeah. He directs NDPs yeah. almost all films, including like Ocean's Eleven. Mm. Uh, but generally, yeah, you need that collaboration. But it's interesting because I think that, and that is essentially, I would argue that the DP director relationship is the key relationship. You know, there's a, a few ambiguities here as well, but I mean, is the key that that marriage because mm -hmm. essentially you're combining the two worlds. You're kind of like you've got the directors handling all the kind of casting story, you know, directing the actors, so on and so forth. Like you know, talking to the editor, talking to all that stuff, and then the DP is taking care of everything that you see within the frame. And mm -hmm. it's like that relationship has to be on point, not only from a creative relationship as well, but also a personal relationship as well. Because if you two don't see eye to eye, or if you don't communicate well, or if you can't respect each other, then you can obviously, you know, things can fall into disarray very fast mm -hmm. um, particularly in high high um, pressure situations which film sets usually can be mm -hmm. uh, I mean when it's going great it's going great but when it's going bad it's like shit hits a fan you're like oh yeah. god this is when like everyone needs to pull together and like yeah. really you, yeah, you bond yeah, of course and then a good crew helps yeah, that's, at that stage yeah I think uh, just generally having good HODs so good head of department which is DP production designer editor uh, special effects sound yeah. they kind of uh, almost extensions of director they're yeah. almost like extra brain and if director doesn't have issues with the ego and stuff mm. like he doesn't want to give the material away or control away he would be actually looking at as external hard drives of his brain he'd yeah. be like oh shit I don't have to have to like think about every detail of that department because that person will I, exactly from like fucking typography to like how exactly what's the font on the paper we're shooting later a production designer will solve I know like, or what exactly the light is for this scene and I think the people would be offering. And I think you'd find a commonality between all most directors and having used and worked with the same HODs um, time and time again. I think Nolan has used the same guys ever since Memento, something insane mm. like that. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Of Wally Fister. But then he left for um, to become a commercials director, which is interesting. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, um, I think as well is um, when you have that confidence with a mutual confidence between each other. It mm -hmm. is when things work really nicely as well. I'm going to talk from my experience. Like you know, I love working with DPs who you just know that like you like I said, there's that trust factor. Mm -hmm. Editors is the hard one for me, like because I spend so much time editing. That's yeah, where I really I find with directors who edit themselves, it's very hard for them to switch. Yeah, um, that's where I find it really hard to let go. Like when I you know when you just say hey hey you know go with this, but um, just because through my own career I've spent so much time editing so it's kind of really hard for me to give in so but it, it, it is great I mean would you say sort of leading on from that question is there have you seen a change in the industry um, in the last few years particularly with um, 
I guess how much more video content is being made in the last five years. Like mm-hmm. there's just a hu- there's been a huge spike in. Yeah, I think what happened generally in commercial world, at least what I see is that uh, there's less and less top level commercials. So something like seven hundred fifty thousand pounds onwards, and they get kind of downgraded into ten hundred k jobs or ten seventy five k jobs. Uh, and there's no middle ground. There's no like half a million or 400k uh, commercials, which before were kind of normal. I think they go into straight into this online content where, okay, here's 50,000 pounds, make us a two minute video. Um, of course, these budgets sound a lot, but that's like a normal commercial budget because so many people get need to get paid. Um, so that happens. And it's also less top- and less on top and more and more on online, where it, it gets squeezed because uh, they're like, well, it's for online and for crews and stuff. It's like, well, how does that matter? It's still selling stuff. And online is so big now. It's so targeted that in a way, it's much better for companies. And online, I mean, that's kind of been my USP as well, is that kind of online bracket. And it is frustrating when it's kind of like there's a limitation to A, the creative, B, the budget, and then how those two things then come together and you execute on them and it, it does have its limitations but I mean it's insane now basically think of it like this any any major brand or not even major brand mm-hmm. has three platforms they have Instagram Twitter and YouTube okay and Facebook so let's just say four all of which needing content mm-hmm. and yeah that can be stills but most effective is always going to be video. Mm-hmm. And then you've got that whole, like if you're saying like Adidas, for example, puts yeah. a video on their Instagram every day and they'll have different markets as well. They'll, yeah, they'll, have, their, they'll have their worldwide. But what I find as well, they kind of segregate a little bit the, um, the way they get agencies for these ideas. So obviously in the commercial world, how it works, the Adidas has an agency which they work for decades sometimes. And then that agency hires different production houses. And what happens now more and more that certain production houses, they get stuck in this little online kind of content commercial world stuff and directors get stuck in that as well. And they have top level production houses which mainly shoot TVCs of very high budget online. So what happens is like in TVCs, TV commercials. So. And that's the, the the super like cream of the crop. Um, and then what happens, yeah, is that it gets segregated even on production company level. And then what happens inside a production company, directors get segregated, so they get stuck in the same kind of kind Whirlpool. of a bit less interested, yeah, yeah, um, commercial world. Um, but so I, I mean, there's production companies that I've been working with who literally pitch themselves as we are like an online production company. We make this stuff fast and we make it mm-hmm, cheap and we mm-hmm. make it fast turnaround. Yeah. But there are limit there are just limitations on what, what what there'll be compromises along the way. You can't have the you know the golden rule, you can't have good, fast and cheap. Yeah. You can have two, you can't have all three. Yeah. Or uh, it has to be simple. I think in that triangle, if it's simple, it can be good, fast and cheap. But it has to be realistic. Uh, what you can achieve in yeah. say if a few hours if it's, if it's a talking head yeah what's the best way to shoot a talking head and yada yada, yeah, yada. Yeah, yeah. there are ways now with gear but they have to be realistic what you can achieve um, are you um, how much do you hang on I, I, there's a question here actually which um, yeah, Colin Webb which well. um, which of your projects as a DP um, are you most proud of and that's from Colin Webb shout out to Colin Webb on the live stream shout out <laughs> Um, fuck. Um, I don't know. I wouldn't say like I'm proud, proud of certain. Let me open my website. <laughs> so, um, yeah, there's no website on, on the bottom here, but it's edgardop.com. It's in the description. 
Oh, is it? It's in the description. In, in, in the, the description. description. Yeah. I don't know, dude. I think I'm proud of the experiences more than I am of the final films. Not that they're bad. It's just more... It's hard to judge. It's like, oh, am I proud of this more than I'm proud of that? I think that's an insane metric to have. Um, if you look at my website, I like... I don't know how many projects there is. Like 12 I listed. Like... Um, I like all of them for whatever reason. Some some are shot on the VHS camera, and I still watch it, and and you feel kind of certain feelings in the end of it. And I think that's an achievement. For example, like yeah. the instrumenti A and River music video, that's the very bottom on my website. Hero Fisher is a mixed uh, camera work, which is was shot on this eight millimeter handcraft stuff and on four different digital formats, from Alexa to Hi8 Mini DV stuff. CNN style is a good example of a quick chip, cheap, quick and de- decent, I think, level doco, which was tiny crew, two people. Uh, then she slapped them as a documentary where I spent two weeks in the deserts of Kazakhstan shooting uh, this witch. Um, so that's an experience in itself, you know, good memories. Cancer research, we had, I can't remember how many minutes with David Hay, the boxer. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's each one of them you can kind of talk through. Why you're and proud I would of say, them. Yeah, and I'm like proud of the experience, and I'm grateful that I was given that experience. Uh, I can't like pinpoint. Sure. But, oh yeah. Yeah, that project was the yeah, one yeah, yeah. which did it, did it, did it. Because you know, it could even be something as stupid as something that you made when you were 18, which kind of like ignited your passion for filmmaking. You know, it could be something mm. as rather than it being like, yeah, it was this thing that got like five million hits on mm. YouTube and like whatever. And, like, no, like numbers for sure don't matter. Like I don't know, long ago, like maybe actually working with YouTube a lot. Um, not like putting my stuff on YouTube, but working with YouTubers and YouTube as a system, um, I kind of got uh, the, not disappointed, but more like I understood how metrics work and how easy it is to get certain numbers. And that's why the Instagram game is a bit strange because you can get into millions so, of followers, which kind of mean nothing. So two questions then leading on from that. And we're, we're, we're hitting the hour and a half mark. So we'll sort of, any final questions, guys, we'll sort of like uh, be working towards sort of uh, winding things down you could do like a time lapse and it's gonna get dark <laughs> yeah yeah um what is what's your personal relationship like with, you, with social media and i'm not talking about work i'm just talking about you how you use it what's your relationship with it it's a and be honest understandable <laughs> respect for it i understand the power of numbers so i obviously play the number game to an extent and i think it's not talking about instagram it's not so much the numbers of followers uh but who follows you because what it means is in my mind almost like a visual business card it's the business card of 21st century uh that you as soon as they follow you that's it they're gonna have your content your pieces of work your portfolio there as often as you want and that's the balance to have do you want them every hour there every day maybe once a week do you want that your face in there as well because i had the issue obviously where uh it's funny where i went to some festivals and people like oh let me follow you on instagram they're like oh i'm following you already they didn't realize who i am because uh, i I don't post much pictures on my face and i kind of clocked that because it happened several times and i'm like uh, okay, I, I probably think, have to put my face here and there. I uh, I, I made a very conscious decision. Um, 
I think it's about a year about a year ago I just stopped putting personal photos on Instagram mm-hmm. it was purely work mm-hmm. or it'd be like behind the scenes or it'd yeah, be like yeah, exactly. or, st- or still frames or a like very great setup thank you yeah, rental whatever yeah <laughs> I, I mean it was it was a conscious decision yeah. because I was at, but, but you're quite good at I think you've got a very um, if you want a better word calculated way of using it as self promotion you're very good at it you're not I very. I don't know if it's a compliment or this. I, I think it's good. I think yeah. you use it as the way you just said. It's your business card. You're yeah, very, yeah. As you put I, it like I'm this, very I watch, conscious. I watch it's your my stories. Live portfolio. I watch so. your stories. I, you know, you you do post good photos, um, and I think that it it is the, the platform which lends itself to people people in this industry because it is obviously a visual format. Um, how often you go? How how often are you go on Instagram a day? Too much. Like I think there's an update coming on on uh, iPhone. We we are in June. Is it June now? Yeah, June 2018. Apparently, it's in September 2018. There'll be a, a, a like update which kind of controls which apps you use. And stuff. I'm looking forward to that because I think there is. I delete Instagram time to time, but now I have this thing where I post almost every day one telling about one shoot I did, yeah. and I'm in midway. I have 21 days. I'm doing it for like a little portfolio. Um, so after that I'll delete it back and then because I don't know like checking it is a bit tricky I like certain accounts but you fall into this trap where you follow certain stuff where uh, first of all it gets visually same so my eye gets tired and my eye gets influenced like oh they shoot this way should I be shooting this anamorphic uh, hazy stuff as well and you're like I don't know like it fucking depends on the project it's so hard man it's 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 something which you have to be very conscious of and you know I think going to festivals is my new fucking crack on Instagram I would spend money going like film festivals I spend a lot of money going to Sundance London and that's I think the best because it's already curated it's already filtered through and that's your way to watch the best stuff go to Mubi seriously guys if you like UK or territories which have Mubi go to Mubi.com it's M for mother U B for bravo I.com so Mubi.com Fucking good. It's 30 films, which are classics and unknown stuff. And they curate it. It'll be like, oh, French Week or uh, female filmmakers or like uh, can winners and stuff. Uh, what's so that website good. that, um, oh God, who's, who's your friend in Riga, the film festival? Uh, uh, Sergey. Sergey. Yeah. Uh, what's the website? Shout out. Shout out to Sergey. Um, Sergey. Um, he was a script doctor, right? On, yeah. On one of your shows yeah, yeah. as well. What, um, what was... Uh, the website where you could see what other films people were watching. Ah, Letterboxd. Letterboxd. It's letterboxd.com. That's really cool. I like yeah, that. Yeah, because you can follow certain people whose taste you like, and yeah. you can kind of aggregate what they've watched and how they rated it. That's well, good. Uh, I think that's better than Instagram. I think fucking one and a half hours or two hours a day you spend on Instagram, you can basically watch a film, film on movie or watch what people are watching on Letterboxd or go to cinema. I mean, movie is 10 quid a month. I, I thought I was very much in control of my social media habits. I thought that I did I barely use Twitter, um, but Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, I mean, yeah, six months ago, I, I kind of was starting to feel unhealthy mm-hmm. with how much I was A, going on the platforms, but the knock-on effect that I was having, and particularly, like, you know, from a director's point of view, when you're not working or you're not busy or, like, a project is in a certain stage, mm-hmm. you can spend a lot of time kind of really feeling the burn of not being being that, and you, where you are constantly seeing the kind of uh, the daily input of all these different people yeah. you follow. Yeah, like, and your mind oh my God. Uh, kind of combines it as if it's one 
successful director I had to, I or had, DP. I they don't to, understand yeah. it's 10 or 20 or 40 or 100 different DPs. They're not all working exactly. all at the same time. Um, and it's only in the last six months, and this is a big reason why this project is, is taking place, because my valuation of, of happiness and where that kind of scale were, and it's like, you just do you, bro. Like, don't give a shit about anyone Bree. else. Do that, bro. Like, just do you. Like, yeah. don't worry about all these things. Social media is a great way of communicating, a great way of marketing. It's a great way of thinking. But make sure you're very conscious of that. But, but, if you're not working for a pro- prolonged period of time, I think you have to be honest to yourself. Why, why? is that? Like, you have to rethink. Why, as a director, uh, as a DP, for example, directors are not calling you back? Why these guys didn't continue to work with you? I think that's where the serious work starts, not being like, yeah, whatever I do, whatever I want. Or the other way, you go like fucking uh, into deep hole where like, oh my God, no one wants me. No, you stop and you reevaluate. You go last 10 projects and you're like, okay, what happened? Why there is no wave? Is it because it's, say, January and the winter is always slow for freelancers in our industry? Or is it because you made certain mistakes? Not necessarily shooting. Maybe you made mistakes politically. And I went through that. Like, and also, big fucking and also be, be proactive as well. Like yeah, don't yeah. don't don't wait around for the phone to ring. Like go you, for a beer. Yeah, no, but I mean, like, go for a beer, or like, even just like grab a camera and like, you know, do camera tests, or like, you know, just just keep keep your, you know, um, I went over to Iceland last year and just spent two weeks taking photos. Like it was just mm. a kind of very conscious thing. It was like, yeah, okay, I'm gonna go to Iceland and just work on photography like mm-hmm. you know and it was like because I'm not busy you know I've got this time off like great you know use it as a kind of a plus so that's really interesting um, I guess sort of to wrap, wrap things up if there are you know we, we're probably going to have a wide um, audience watching this so mm-hmm. let me um, check Instagram as well yeah, yeah last, last chance for questions guys um, there are some from Jack, but I think we kind of answered most Jack's absolutely dominating the, uh, the chat big, big shout out to Jack we're going into if I was not. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's quite interesting. And I think going back slightly, this this project is all about I, I I didn't watch Brazil game, but I saw the final score. It's one one. It's one one. Yes. I've got Switzerland in my, oh my uh, sweet steak. Um there was the 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 reason behind this project, and we were talking about this off camera before we started. Mm-hmm. Live and doing stuff live where there's no script, no rehearsals, where it's just bang, this is it, this we're mm-hmm. talking, whatever happens, happens, mm-hmm. I think is a great format. I'm really enjoying it. And, yeah. and because, once again, and I think there's a lot of YouTubers, you know, you, you've, you know, we all know, the who, you know who's who, but you know, they, there's a lot of people talking about mental depression, anxiety, and all this yeah. kind of stuff through the uh, backlash of pre-curated and, and people who are narrating their own lives in a very specific way. Mm-hmm. And it's happening on a much bigger scale than it ever has before. Mm-hmm. And it's like, this kind of, I hope, strips that veil away a little bit. And it's like, you know, because if, for example, you know, and I'm not a, a YouTuber, but people will see like, you know, oh, uh, Jack versus Life, he goes around America, lives in a van, like, you know, yeah, he's shooting yeah, all these yeah, projects, yeah. he's super cool. And it's like, we're just in my bedroom, like, you know, <laughs> like sitting out my, my mattresses over there, my washing's hanging up here. Like, this is very normal life. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think there should be more of this as, not necessarily live streaming, but podcasting, but an, an antidote to how people are uh, broadcasting their lives in, yeah. in pre-recorded manners. And, I, you know, I think it's quite, I think it needs to happen a lot in, in, in the... And it's the, weird, yeah, yeah. In the YouTube community particularly, because there's a lot of... Yeah, because it's, uh, yeah, it's hard to discuss because it's obviously rise of vlogging where it is based on me it's oh. not based on my work so much there are good examples where 
uh, yes, someone went and, and kind of deliberately went into their work. I don't know, like Bertie is a good example, you know, who yes. grew as a vlogger and then deleted all of that. And then, because I shot a film for, for Bertie. Shout out um, to Bertie. Bertie And uh, he went just for shorts, for example. So, so in that sense. And that's a great evolution are, of creator. Yeah, but so little people do it because fucking everyone wants them likes. And vlogging will always get you more likes, especially calculated like best sound effects uh, stuff because we all know how it works you do certain stuff which appeals to masses you're going to get the fucking numbers but also you fall into the trap and you know pro YouTubers and people out there I mean look you ask any 12 year old now what do you want to be when you're older they all say I want to be a YouTuber huh. and then the interesting thing here is is it's like once it becomes your profession and you need those views to sustain a living, yeah, then, yeah. You, then you're not it only walking away. It comes nine to five. It comes the to people don't five, realize that. But you see the death of so many um, influencers. Yeah, because, because it's fucking 12, 13 year old category. Hell, and that's, you have to be realistic. You have to fucking go to, again, go to festivals, meet people, people who are a bit older. Get out, get out of your bedroom. Yeah, listen, and like, listen to their stories. And because I, in the end, we're still at the age where, where TV influences more and big films that's what people talk on then on youtube they don't talk in films about youtube yet there's still certain trends which take much longer like revenant you know we mentioned the film uh that's like conceived and it takes time like 10 years from from idea to completion and that's why it's going to stay for a long time after it's been screened in film and the YouTube, uh, certain YouTube videos are just going to die. They're disposable entertainment. And I think fucking less of that and more of stuff like Mubi. I fucking keep yeah, repeating totally. that. Just watch something which took people's years to make. I, I or th- think through at least, not make. And I also think on that point, um, you know, YouTube as a platform needs to get people using it as, a cre- as, as content creators need to work out their long-term objectives. And yeah, they need to do yeah. it in a way that's sustainable and also they know their exit plan. Because yeah. if they can't sustain it, I mean, how long is PewDiePie going to be making PewDiePie videos for? At least 50? Who knows? Mm. Um, but anyway, we could talk about that in a whole another separate video. Um, so look, any more final questions? And if not, we'll, I think we'll call it Video Killed the Radio Star. Um, what keeps you doing what you're doing? What are you going to do? Why stick, why stick with it? That's an interesting one. Why stick with it? So uh, the question is, uh, what keeps you doing what you do? What got you into it? And why you keep... Why, why, why do you why, why basically why are you a DP and not anything else and why do you continue to be a DP and not anything else I, I just I think I love every moment and I genuinely do love every moment I'm on set or in prep to projects it's super rarely and I'm not lying now I super rarely when I'm like ah oh, fuck I don't want to get out of it um, maybe like I don't know it's been so rare and I, I don't have a long career or anything uh and it's many people, just so many different people and places I see, and yeah. I can tell the story of those places with some very talented directors. Oh my god, you're gonna have a, you know, when you're on your deathbed, you're gonna have a, a, a nice rich tapestry. Remember when I uh, said hello to David yeah. Beckham? Yeah, I, I, but it's great. It is great, I and mean, it is, it is a, it is an amazing thing. When um, I guess you know. There is something about working in film crews, which is like, it's a great team. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, there's, there's certain... Like, it's just, there's a vibe. It's there's really a very hard. interesting uh, mix between kind of uh, ingenuity, DIY attitude to solving problems and very quick problem solving to art and to also kind of philosophy of it. Why the fuck are And also, it it's like, people who like operating in kind of 
usually people in the film industry have similar characteristics like they kind of all like the outdoors they're very used to like kind of adapting in outdoor situations they've all got like kind of interest like some people be like yeah I work for six months and I take six months off and I you know I surf in Australia everyone's kind of like uses it as a way of accessing humanity yeah. um, while getting paid you know decent salaries in, in some you know mm. in some cases or whatever um, you know sustaining a living and just basically being your own boss because no matter if you're like a you know a assistant you know whatever a makeup assistant or whatever you're still a freelancer so you're yeah, still yeah. controlling your own life yeah absolutely um, so you do attract those people who do want that kind of sense of um, you know freedom within yeah. their kind of it's life. the cruise it's like a family in a way it's not, a family but and also not, and not the cast yeah <laughs> <laughs> no, there's some amazing yeah, cast is, they're yeah. just they're usually synthetically removed from us yeah, I think yeah. because yeah. everyone has to protect them and yeah, not fuck their minds and stuff, which is fine there are certain actors who need that but I mean generally it's the family of the crew is so great and even it evolves time to time from shoot to shoot there's some shoots after which you like fuck i'm never gonna meet a combination of these like 25 people in my life like objectively exactly same combination i met on this job for five or four days i'm never gonna meet them again yeah. but it was so great to meet them there's so much banter and fun and yeah, jokes yeah, yeah. And, going through the problems and solving them and that's an amazing feeling when you wake up next morning and you're like I'm gonna miss these people like, yeah. and then the chances are you're gonna work with some of them again, again and oh, again yeah, totally. and again yeah, totally. and what's well, that's still the best it's yeah. like the, like an office job where you can choose every single person around you around yeah. your desk and it's great when those, those relationships extend past the you know you know the working environment but also when you read Kindle on a shoot where it might be a soundie or a DP yeah, or it's like, hey, have man, like how's it going man? Yeah, inside, yeah, like yeah. That. and you also know that hopefully on some jobs everyone's there because they're at the top you know they're there because they're they're professional as well yeah so course. you have fun of with course. it it's like you know yeah. um, wicked alright Edgar well look, I think we'll call it a wrap there thank you so much for joining me on uh, Jack you. Talks 2 um, next week not quite sure who we've got yet I've got a few interesting guests lined up um, that I'm trying to do. I'm trying to do 10 of these so this is the second so um, yeah I'm going to watch back sure. on this one with um, and I guess you can follow both of us here yeah, yeah. and if you have any questions I'm happy to, to answer on Instagram just DM me and I'll yeah. I'll answer stuff um, great stuff I have a minute wicked alright guys check out Weg, uh, Edgar's website and uh, shout out to everyone and uh, yeah thanks for watching and catch you soon so there we have it episode two in the bag hope you enjoyed that if you made it all the way to the end here then congratulations you're a die-hard fan and i respect you and you have my eternal gratitude especially in these early episodes where we're kind of just learning what the hell this show is all about so thanks for tuning in thanks for listening um if you want to hit up um, or get in touch with myself you can do on twitter at jack conan burke if you want to instagram me as well you can at jack conan burke uh, also, a bit more formal, I've got an email address for you, info at burkefilms.co.uk. Um, any feedback is, is welcomed. Uh, if you're a potential guest as well, get in touch. Um, I'm sure I'm going to run out of friends soon enough. Well, friends with interesting things to say. I've got lots of friends who are idiots, so um, I won't be getting them on anytime soon. Um, but anyway, guys, thank you once again. Really appreciate it. Um, episode three um coming up very shortly uh, i'm joined with my friend ben dillaway and we talk about his experiences with lsd uh in trying to cure his depression uh, from a few years ago so really interesting conversation that um so make sure you stick around for, for episode three but thanks for tuning in i'll catch you next time big love and catch you on the flip side do people say that anymore i don't know bye for now